to begin. Coming to you from the desert, somewhere in Arizona. It's here. It's here. The Impatient Investor with Andrew Lenoy. It's him. He's alive. If you're looking for new ways to generate wealth and passive income, you're in the right place. You want it all, don't you? You're in the right place. This is the podcast for those wanting to take control and gain freedom through alternative investments. If you're following your mom and dad's investment advice. Honey, I'm home. Yeah, this isn't the podcast for you. Do you know what time it is? Why, yes. Yes, I do. I know what you're thinking. This is going to be unbelievable. It's time for The Impatient Investor with Andrew Lenoy. Andrew Lenoy. I'm so excited for today's episode. I've got my good friend, Kathy Fetke on. Kathy's been a real estate investor for over 20 years and shares some incredible insight on how she approaches real estate investing and also investing during COVID. Enjoy. Hey, Kathy, welcome to the show and uh, great to, great to see you and great to have you on the, on the show. It's so great to be here. I feel like we're almost in the same room in a weird way. We're close. Yeah. (laughs) In the new zoom, the new zoom world. It helps, man. Without Zoom, it would be without Zoom and FaceTime, it would be a lot harder. It'd be a lot harder, yeah. So before we we get into into the conversation, maybe just tell tell the listeners a little bit about your your background. We've we've known each other for a while. You've been um, in the in the education and real estate space for uh, a long time. Maybe just give everyone a, a quick background on 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 your background. Sure. My, I mean, my dream was always to be in broadcasting. So I have a broadcast degree from San Francisco State and worked in the newsrooms of CNN and Fox and uh, ABC7 for years. Uh, that was my passion. But then when I got pregnant and you know when met Rich and we started our family, I didn't want to be chasing fires, boy, especially these days, um, or or murderers. And I just wanted to be home with the kids. And Rich. Rich's career was taking off, so it allowed that. He he had just written a book called Extreme Success, which is based on his extreme sports. He competed in the X Games. He was in the first X Games. Um, and uh, so he took kind of what it takes to overcome fear and apply that to success in his book, Extreme Success. So he that was a success, and he was traveling all around the country. Everything was great. We just bought our first house, a 4,000-square-foot home, had two little kids. Everything was perfect until it wasn't. And that's kind of how life is often, right? We're experiencing that in 2020 for sure. Just when things are going great, sometimes there's a big surprise. Yeah, And this was our big surprise for sure. He, he noticed a freckle on the road during his um, uh, uh, press tour for the book. And uh, he's a redheaded, freckle-faced person, as you know. So how he noticed this one freckle, I have no idea. But he went and got it checked after his book tour, and it turned out to be melanoma. Melanoma is a very fast-moving skin cancer. Uh, he went for more appointments. The doctors looked at him, saw four uh, little some you know some growths on his liver. They thought it metastasized, and you know at that time they didn't have some of the things that we have today uh, to cure cancer. So uh, the doctor just basically gave him a life sentence of six months. So my dream life just came crashing down in one day when he gave me that news. Um, but 
I refuse to believe it. There was just no way knowing Rich, he's jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. He is, I mean, with a bungee cord. Right, right. <laughs> not, not without, but it's important to know. <laughs> oh, he's a bungee jumper, a skydiver, a surfer, you know, black, double, triple black diamond skier. So it was like, no, I'm extreme, not. Extreme everything. Extreme everything. So I was like, no way. Is a freckle going to be the way this guy goes? It's going to be way more dramatic than that. So I refuse to b- believe it. Um, and, and yet it was reality. So we kind of just switched positions where it was like, look, you stay home. If the doctor's right and you have six months to live, you stay home, live your life, be with your friends and family, do what you want. Not all, anything you want, but, uh, you know, uh, take, you know, ha- enjoy yourself and let me figure out the money piece. But by then I had been out of broadcasting for years. I didn't know how to make money anymore. That's one of the challenges of being a mom is once you get out of the workforce, the world changes very quickly. and It's hard to get back in. So I really didn't know how I was going to fulfill this promise to take over the money. And I, we had just bought this huge house that had a $4,000 a month uh, mortgage. And I had no idea how I was going to do that. So I, I had my radio show still that I'd made no money from, but I was on a big station in San Francisco And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to use that to find out how other people do this because I really wanted to be with him too and with the children and, and be a, continue to be a stay at home mom. And I, and I looked around and thought, you know, I know there's people that know how to do this, to make money while also living the life they want and, and being able to have passive income coming in. I'd heard about that. I just didn't know anything about it. So I was able to use my show to find out. And back then there weren't podcasts there. There was, it was really difficult to get that information. So somehow I was able to find people who were living that dream life. And I just interviewed them one after another. And it just completely opened my eyes to a whole new world. And here I am. (laughs) Yeah, it's incredible. So you were definitely one of the earlier podcast podcasters out there um when did that when did all of this start like real real wealth real wealth network when did that start and launch the podcast roughly and you guys were in northern california at that time too right yeah we were in the san francisco bay area house was in lafayette and uh what during that difficult time uh we had you know there's kind of a benefit to being over leveraged so to speak like we bought too big and that could be a problem but the good thing was it was such a big house that I was able to kind of turn it into a fourplex to get us through that difficult time. And that was my entree into passive income, basically, because it was a, it had like six bedrooms. And so one of those was an, an office. So we, we literally, you know, made all these different entrances and we didn't have to share our fridge or our space with anyone. We just literally turned it into separate spaces and ended up pretty much living there. Uh, with very little expense. So we could get through the difficult times. I think they call it house hacking. Now we just called it survival. And we got these tenants from Craigslist, which was insane because that's all there was, but it worked, it worked. And, and, uh, and we got through the tough time, but that's how I learned how to be a landlord. And then right about the same time, I was like, how am I going to make money right now? This radio show, I'm learning a lot, but I'm not making any money. Uh, So I thought, okay, sponsorships, that's how radio shows make money. So I just started calling, going down the phone book, calling people to see if they would sponsor. And I finally found a guy in the mortgage business because this was 2003, I think. So mortgage, the mortgage business, they, they were making so much money. 
they were the ones advertising all the time. Finally got a mortgage guy to agree to sponsor the show. And just by luck, he was a mortgage broker who understood wealth building. So very unique, by the way, my co-host and we taught, he taught me and we taught our audience the power of leverage, how to use mortgages to acquire assets. And, um, and so that's, that just kind of took off. My audience grew very quickly because I was interviewing people who were getting loans from him, who were doing all these things. They were doing flips. They were doing the B, the Burr method. They, they were uh, buy and hold and all, all these things. No one ever taught me. I didn't know anything about it. And I'm learning from these 30 year olds who were already retired, you know, how they did it. And I'm like, why is this not common information? So right about then, the whole podcast thing came out. iTunes came out with the the first podcast. And Rich said, I just found out you can <clears throat> upload your radio show. Wow. So he did. And within a month, uh, I was not, I didn't just have a San Francisco audience. I had a worldwide audience. We had listeners in 27 countries. It just exploded because I was one of the few uh, podcasters. And, and that's when we created, we're like, oh my gosh, something's happening here. We, Rich and I went to lunch and, and he wrote on a napkin, it seems like this is what we're doing. And it, he wrote real, because I was like, you know, it's like real estate. You can really make money off of passive income, build your wealth. And, and this network of people that we're meeting. And so Rich writes it down. How, how about this real wealth network? And that's, uh, that's how it started on a napkin in a cafe somewhere. It's so cool. I mean, you guys have been doing this now for... I- it's got to be close to 20 years. Is it, was it, is it, a, yeah. are you coming up on your 20th year for in real wealth, real wealth network? Uh, I would say more like 17. Okay. Yeah. 17. So still a long time. Um, we bought the house that we turned into a fourplex in 97. Uh, so we've been landlords for quite a while, but, yeah. um, but this whole concept of, Hey, there's information out there that the public needs to know. I need to know. We need to get through this difficult time. By the way, Rich is fine today, and the doctor was wrong, and and uh, I he wears sunblock, <laughs> so that's good, and he gets checked regularly, and he's alive. Right. Uh, Seventeen years later, so never let a doctor give you a, a an end date. You right. know, don't believe it. Right, right, right. Uh, he was only supposed to have six months, and seventeen years later, he's healthier than ever. Um, but of course, at the time, we didn't know. So, um, so then it just, it just became very apparent that all these groups, these real estate groups that would meet, they were not doing what I, they weren't teaching what I wanted to learn. These RIAs back then, real estate investment groups, they were teaching, they were, it was basically the run to the back of the room and buy the the DVD at the time and learn something that didn't even apply to, you know, where I lived or it just because often outdated information that didn't work. And very expensive programs, you know, ten to twenty thousand dollars for this boot camp, and uh, we're just like, oh, we don't want to do that. We don't want to charge anything. We just want to get this information out there. And in the meantime, my sponsor, who was a mortgage broker, was getting so much business because of the stories we were telling and and uh, and showing how people were using loans to build wealth. That I, he's like, you got to get your license, become a mortgage broker. I can't handle all this business. <laughs> so that's how our financial problems went away. Is 
within a year, I was one of the busiest mortgage brokers in the San Francisco Bay area Wow! and everything changed. Right. So, so you, you guys talk a lot about, I know some of the focus is on residential real estate. You, you promote other asset classes and have invested in other asset classes, but maybe especially on the residential side. And since you've been through um, a full cycle of subprime crash, uh, and now we're in the middle of this, this strange worldwide pandemic, maybe how has the Real Wealth Network changed um, over the past 17 years, especially through subprime and maybe even, uh, we can talk about COVID in a little bit, but how, how has it changed and kind of, have you, have you shifted your focus at all or is it some of that stayed, stayed the same? It's, it's so weird and not, wow, sorry if you heard that. It's, it's, uh, it's so strange because it hasn't, it hasn't. And I think it's because I'm so lucky that back in 2005, when I was just on a fast track to learn, I I would have real estate experts come on and I would interview them and I'd read their books. And, and one of those experts was our mutual friend, Robert Kiyosaki, who just was kind of starting out. He wasn't that well-known at the time. I mean, he was becoming more well-known, but he came on and told me what he was doing with his real estate in 2005. He was selling. And that made no sense because everybody was buying. It's like, why was he selling? And he explained it on my podcast that he knew that these loans were going to come due. And it was very much predicted that they would come due because it gets on paper. Hey, it's going to adjust on this date. Many people knew it was going to be adjusting in a big way in 2007. So if you paid attention, you would know what was coming. And he knew, and he said, boy, when these reset in 2007 is going to be, he would use words I won't use on this podcast, but, uh, you know, he's like, I'm getting out of the bubble markets where prices have gone off way past affordability levels. And I'm going to buy in Texas where there's job growth and population growth and cash flow, which you couldn't find in California. Right. And that made sense to me. And I was just so lucky to have him on my show to just, grasp that like how was i going to find cash flow where i lived it was impossible yeah but he explained well, you don't have to invest where you live you can go to where the jobs are going and where the people are going but more importantly where the cash flow is where you can buy a property where the the income the rent from that property more than covers the expenses so that there's leftover to put in your pocket so very much less risky than in california where you're feeding your properties, hoping that the value goes up, but it's costing you to have them. Right. So you're really dependent on prices going up or down. And if you can see prices will probably go down if the market's flooded with people who can't pay their mortgages, that's not going to end well. So we, back in 2005, this was the strategy that I learned from Robert Kiyosaki to chase cash flow in markets that have job growth. And that is what we've been doing. That's what we've been teaching people ever since. It's boring. Not for me. I think it's exciting, but it's a boring concept of just buy and hold. You know, you buy the property, you sit on it. But if it's cash flowing, then that allows a lifestyle that, you know, frees up your time. So we haven't changed course. I mean, even in 2009, it was like, oh, okay, the market just crashed, but I still want to invest in areas that have that, that have population growth, that have uh, job growth and cash flow. And then through the whole upside, I mean, I could have bought all over California and I probably would have made more money buying in California in 2010 uh, or something. Eventually, right? But, yeah. 
it, you know, if you held it, but in the meantime, you'd be losing, it'd be probably, I mean, there were, I, I probably missed out on some deals in California, but not really because the places where we chose to invest, they also appreciate it. So the difference is we got cash flow and appreciation in the markets we invested in, like Atlanta and Florida and uh, Indianapolis. I mean, Cleveland. I mean, I was just, I had no idea. Property I bought in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. I think we paid 40 grand. It just appraised for 120,000. So wow. when people say that there's no appreciation in these markets, there's not, unless you buy stuff for really cheap. Right, <laughs> and right. there might be. Yeah, and buy and hold, right? You, you and buy be, and hold. So we're be cash patient. flowing. It's renting for $900 a month at that. Um, so it makes sense now, $120,000 home that, rent, that makes 900 in rent. But when you pay 40,000, that's pretty sweet. Right. So that's what we were teaching people through the years. And now we sit and we're looking at our strategy. And honestly, it's not changing. Just we'll probably just buy more. Right, right. And and a lot of that really has been focused on on residential. I mean, can you imagine being an office building owner right now or a lot of retail is just getting absolutely decimated. I mean, we're we're here. It's um what's the date today? It's August 21st, 2020 and we're I don't know where we are in in COVID, but we're we're 5 5 months into this already. We've seen uh we were talking about this a little earlier. So I saw a headline yesterday that said 32% of US households missed their July housing payment, which is astronomical, right? That's staggering, staggering number. I mean, that's not mortgages, that's rents, that's everything. That's 30, that's almost a third of the US population. And as of a few days ago, it was 57.3 million jobless claims over 22 weeks through this whole thing. And I actually went back and looked at some of the data from previous to this and the jobless claims, I think like a trailing 12 from like Feb 2019 to February uh, 2020 was somewhere in the ballpark of about 200,000, 250,000 a month, right? And so that went to 57 million in 22 weeks, which is just unbelievable. Um, so what are what are some of the things that you're you're seeing through through COVID and what's how has that impacted your your life or your business or anything you want to you want to share about that? It's been unbelievable. Honestly, it's like, I mean, you know me, I've been offering forecasts, real estate forecasts every January and then mid-year housing updates and forecasts. And uh, ever since my interview with Robert Kiyosaki, it occurred to me that the the idea that location, location, location is the most important thing. I, I changed to market timing, really. It's like really understanding what's going on. and And so- Right now, I'm oh, sorry. What was your question again? Um, how how has COVID um, changed changed okay. your business or anything in your your person your personal life? Right. Yes. So it it really hasn't changed. And if anything, it's so weird, Andrew. Things have gotten better. So in in March, I think you know you and I were talking earlier before the recording. How scared I was when this first when this first hit. Now in January, in my in my 2020 predictions that I did in January, I actually predicted a black swan event, if you can believe that. I, I had a picture of a black swan in my presentation. You can go look it up on YouTube if you don't believe me. But I said, generally looking at the charts, when the charts do this, something something comes and, and pops the bubble. 
And we never know what that is, but it generally comes right about this time. And so we were already in the coronavirus stage at that. When I gave that presentation, I just didn't think it was going to be that. But once they were showing videos of people in the hallways of hospitals not getting help, I mean, I freaked out because I do have asthma. I didn't want to come anywhere near this. And I stayed home before anyone even talked about staying home. I, I was terrified. And then I was terrified for our, our we have 50,000 investors at Real Wealth who many of them have bought rental properties nationwide. And I thought, oh my gosh, how are they going to get affected? And it was it was a really scary time. So we were very quick to react right around mid-March. We brought all of our property managers that we work with nationwide together on a Zoom call. We've been a virtual company for 10 years because Rich and I wanted to live real wealth and live where we want. So we kind of left our company and then pretty soon every, I mean, our employees live all over the country, which is fun, but we've been doing Zoom calls and go-to meetings for 10 years. So it wasn't anything new to us, but uh, we brought the, all the property managers that we work with and from Florida and Ohio and Alabama and, you know, Georgia, all, Texas, got them all together. And we're like, okay, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to get our members at Real Wealth through this? Many of them rely on that cash flow. They're retired and they need it. Um, you know, how, like, what are we going to do? And together, all 15 of them just brainstormed ways to get through it. And it really came down to how do we take care of the tenants? How do we make it comfortable for them to stay? And everybody gave lots of ideas like, you know, find, show them how to get their stimulus money, show them where there are new jobs, uh, show them where That's there's great. charities that can help. Uh, let's see, what was the big one? Um, give incentives if they'll pay in advance. If, if we had, you know, tenants that would pay three months in advance, they got a 10% discount on their rent. I mean, things like that. Wow. And we had higher collection rates than we've had. It was bizarre. You know, we're waiting April 1st. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Better collections. And then to the, to even more shocking, we had more applications for rentals right. than ever before. Right. On um, in, and I'm talking 15 different cities in different States. So it's not just, we're not talking one area, right? This was across the country. Same thing, even in Detroit, you know, where it was getting hit the hardest and still is we had the same experience, more applications, higher rent collections. So I, I was just absolutely shocked. I can boil it down to one thing. And that is it. When you look back at coronavirus, what you're going to remember is safer at home, social distancing, safer at home. Right. Well, if you're the landlord of that home, that's, that's just elevated our asset class to, to great importance when your home is now the school. And it's now your recreation area and it's your, it's where you eat, you know, so many people just going out to eat. Well, you couldn't do that. So you had to, you know, was, everything was happening at home, your office. So this home environment became so, so important and we're not out of this yet. So that's in people's minds. And I think that will be in people's minds for a long time in the future. This was a deep, deep wound, right? For so many of us we're not going to just forget it. So I do believe that the, the value of a home is, it has again, elevated. And that explains, that's the only thing I can understand is how 
we're having more success than before. And we have developments. We're also syndicating and building subdivisions in lots of different places. Sure, it slowed down in March and April because nobody knew what in the world was happening. Right. But then when people started to sort of emerge and look outside, uh, we have had record sales of our single family new homes. So it's like it's incredible. Shocking. Yeah. I think that's such such a just wonderful message for people who own real estate. I mean, really, if you protect your residence, then you're going to protect your your assets through through all of this. I I had uh, our mutual friend Jason Hartman on who has been talking about um, this this exodus from major markets, right? And he he has he has some interesting data on everything, but you know, New York City right now, I think, is a record breaking. Uh, vacancy rates there, right? And they obviously got hit really, really hard in the beginning of this. Um, yeah. I would have, I would have argued a few years ago that some of these very small secondary and tertiary markets around the U.S. would have been um, slowly declining over years. And now I feel like it's, it might even be heading in the other direction. I mean, imagine where where you guys were in Northern California. You're an engineer and you work at Google and you make, you know, you're, you're high up on the chain. You make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. And you sent home, like why? And if it's indefinite, why on earth would you live in Northern California, right? When you could live anywhere. And so, um, like here in Phoenix right now, if you've got a you've got a property that's anything that's under a a, a, a jumbo loan. So let's say a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar house here, which isn't a terrible home. It's a pretty nice house here in Phoenix. You've got five, ten, fifteen offers on that home, and I'm hearing the same thing in a lot of different markets around the country. And part of that is um, definitely pushed down by, you know, Chase came out and said, well, we we're, we're upping our restrictions on our parameters on single family loans. And now you need a 700 FICO minimum and you need a, uh, 20% minimum down. And I'm not sure if the other big banks followed it, but that definitely puts downward pressure on the, on the, on the rental market. So that's been really interesting to, um, to see all of this. Um, yeah. And, th- and that's the thing is that when it comes to real estate, especially now that I'm in the development business and we're, we're building subdivisions that take years to get done. So you can't look at anything short-term. It has to be long-term. So these trends were already in play. This It's why I wasn't investing in New York City. It's why you weren't investing in New York City. Right. It's why neither of us were investing in San Francisco or LA. It didn't make sense. But <clears throat> you know the idea of those areas being overpriced, overcrowded, overpolluted. You know, there was, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a push by governments to move more people into the cities. But, you know, <laughs> this is really reversing now. And, and that's what we were doing in our home building business. We were building homes in outside of Bozeman, Montana. Wow. Why would we choose that? Because we were already looking at the long-term demographics that there are 65, there's there's millions of baby boomers. It was around 65 million, but I'm not sure exactly the number today. Retiring, 10,000 baby boomers retiring every single day. That was already a demographic. Are they going to go live in New York City or, or San Francisco? Of course not. They're going to go live somewhere where, you know, low income tax states, where it's affordable and where there's things to do. And those things to do might be fishing or skiing like in Montana, or it might be in Florida, just being near the beaches. But if you can buy a home for two to three hundred thousand dollars in an area that's nice and affordable and low low state income taxes, 
that's where the demographics, they were moving anyway. Yeah. It's so, sub, like sub said, 3% loans, right? I mean, we've never it, seen rates this low. It's incredible, even for investment property, but especially for primary. Yeah. So that that momentum that was already happening, already the massive demographics moving out of those big cities, moving to more affordable locations, moving to cities that are reinvesting in themselves that maybe had a bad reputation before, but are, are coming around, you know? like Cleveland. Cleveland is such a cute city now. Really good restaurants and and things to do and in this beautiful tree-lined streets with old ho- homes that are just gorgeous and just need a little renovation. This is not something <clears throat> I mean we were thinking but most people weren't thinking 10 years ago. Oh, I want to go to Cleveland, <laughs> you know. Right. But after after the last uh, housing meltdown, so many third-tier cities reinvested in themselves because money was cheap and they were able to do it. And, and, uh, and those cities have, have really turned around and it makes an incredible opportunity for investors to buy around it. So I just found, I found a quote, you know, I, I, I've been, been such a component of, of affordable housing now for a while. This was a quote that was actually, I think it was maybe December of 19. So not that long ago, but definitely prior to COVID and the quote, this is from the New York times, and it says millions of uh, millions of low income Americans are paying seventy percent or more of their incomes for shelter while rents continue to rise, and construction of affordable rental apartments lag far behind the need. And with nearly nine million households teetering on the verge of homelessness, the country clearly needs more support for affordable housing, uh, not less. So that was from the New York Times. Um, yeah. Just so interesting, right? When. It's we're trying to. I've been listening to our another mutual friend, our friend Kenny, Ken McElroy, about what he thinks is going to happen with with a lot of this. And he's been talking about you know if the courts have been essentially not open for months and months and months, and they were slow to begin with, and now um, all of I, I can't remember the number that he said, but a huge number of commercial mortgages were expected to fail through all this, and there's a huge backlog and everything. Um, and talking about kind of the, the, the black swan event, I mean, we would typically have a, a some sort of a real estate correction, what, every seven or eight or nine years or something like that, right? Um, so we're 12 years in, we're in this black swan event, like you had said and predicted earlier. Um, I mean, what what, do you, what are some of the things that you think are going to happen in the next six or 12 or two, two years down the line? I mean, what what's what's some of the things that you're thinking? You know, it's it's a very good question, and it's been a difficult one. I, I usually have more clarity, but this has been uh, just everything has been so shocking. We've never really lived through a time like this, but we also didn't live through a housing meltdown of two thousand eight either. We had to figure it out. Um, but even then, like I said, even then, affordable housing was needed as rental property. So as in 2008, 2009, as people lost their homes, they wanted the same home. They just couldn't own it. They they rented it, and, and that's that is that's what we're probably going to see. Except the big difference this time around is we did not have a surplus of housing. There might have been an overbuilding in the high end, and this is something I've talked about on my news podcast for for years. Is is that it's so it's become so expensive to build that builders could only make a profit in the high end. So that's really all they were building. People like me were building more affordable. Uh, we're able to somehow even produce homes 
brand new homes for a $140,000 range in certain markets. So it's still possible to do that. But most builders aren't willing to make that little of a profit on, on something. They want to make 140000 just in profit or whatever, you know, so right. they were building the, the, the more expensive stuff. So as we saw that trend and yet a growing population, this was going to be an issue, especially since the biggest problem when you really study money and, you know, you and I have been lucky enough to know people who understand money and we've studied it. Um, G. Edward Griffin, I read his book. I don't know, 15 years ago and was just blown away by how money works. Most people just don't realize what's behind it. Right. Um, but what's behind it is the Federal Reserve and the central banking system that has to have the ability to print money. And when you print more money, just like anything, if there's more of it, it's you generally worth less. If, when, our, when the market was flooded with um, foreclosures, well, property values went down. When you flood the market with dollars, the value of that dollar usually goes down and there's more dollars chasing a limited number of assets. So that very basic understanding of money, most people don't have a clue about. And unfortunately, that's what's stripping wealth away from the masses. And that is what's creating great wealth for those who do understand it. And that is probably why you and I are both on a mission to help people understand what what is happening? What the tsunami really is? It's not political per se. It doesn't matter who's in office. What matters is what the Federal Reserve is doing. That's it. Right. That's it, in my opinion. I mean, right. of course, there's little differences and so forth. But when the Federal Reserve is printing masses, massive amounts of money, it almost guarantees that asset values will rise. It's just that's why they do it. It's inflationary. And when you own the asset that's inflating, well, that's good for you. If you don't own the asset that's inflating, that's very, very bad. It's going to get harder and harder to get into it. So when you, when you boil it all down, the affordability issues that we're seeing, it all comes down to what the Fed has been doing. And it's so sad. It's so sad to me that more people don't understand it and aren't diving in and buying real estate and taking advantage of, of that side of the seesaw versus the other. Yeah, it's so interesting. So kind of more, more on that, what would you, what, what advice would you give to someone who they're, they're either a new investor, they're an existing investor, and, and back to what you were saying earlier that we, when all of this started, we didn't really, no one had a playbook for this, right? Brand, brand new, it was, it was a black swan, it was a global crisis. Um, what advice would you have for someone who's interested in investing during this time? What advice would you give someone? Uh, I think we're really going to have some incredible opportunities. So I would learn, 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 read as much as you can. I mean, Ken's got some great, Ken McElroy's got great books. I, I've got a book called Retire Rich with Rentals. Of course, Kiyosaki's books. Do you have a book? You have a book, right? I have a book coming out. Yep. Coming out. Okay. Coming out. So read, learn. If you're too busy, if you're a busy working person, then work with someone like Andrew or, or me who can do it for you, but be very careful about who you choose to manage your real estate investments. Make sure they have an incredible track record uh, because uh, I see Ponzi schemes all the time. It's unbelievable. I feel like I'm constantly reporting on them because people don't understand the basics. They just hand their money to anybody. Don't do that. So understand First and foremost, understand the investment that you're investing in. If you don't have time to do it, 
you can have someone else do it for you, but you still got to understand it. And that's where people go wrong. Um, so, but the bottom line being, I do see hard assets continuing to rise in value because the $4 trillion is that's what we know of. I think it's more than that has been printed over the last couple of months. This is Amazing. unprecedented, Amazing. unprecedented. I mean, it's literally a dis destruction of the US dollar, but the good news is, I guess if there's good news is all currencies <laughs> worldwide are being destroyed at the same time. So in a way it sort of just all balances out. But what it, what it does mean is those who have real things, real things and real estate is a real thing along with gold and silver and even cigarettes and cigars, alcohol. I mean, all these things are gonna go up in value as, uh, as the dollar, as the currency, the fiat currency uh, the currency, which is basically, if, if you don't know what fiat currency, again, these are things to learn. It's just a piece of paper that the government tells you is worth something. That's all it is. It's, it's worth nothing, except for the government says it's worth something. So that's what we trade in. Uh, but we know for sure there's intrinsic value in property. You know, I, I'm just look around me. There's, there's stuff on, I mean, this is all worth something. So if if the if the currency completely dissolved into nothing, what would that mean? It would mean those who hold it and have it and save it don't have anything, but those who have something else do. And I, I literally mean anything else. <laughs> you know, your car will be worth more. Your so uh, so just really understanding the way money works, and 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 understanding investments is more important than ever right now. There's going to be incredible opportunity over the next couple of years. It sure seems like in spite of all the horrible numbers that you just said, all the job losses and the people who haven't paid their, you know, their mortgages or their rent, I look at it like it's more because they were allowed that. Um, there was so many reasons that you didn't have to, you know, and, right. and, and be forgiven for it. And, and so if, 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 you, if someone says, hey, you don't have to pay your rent for three months, well, why would you? So we don't really know yet how it's going to play back, play out once right. the stimulus is gone. But it's my guess that because there is a limited supply of housing in the affordable range, that even if some people can't pay, there will be others who can and want that uh, because it's in such short supply of the afford in the affordable range. And especially if you can get affordable real estate that's that's in great condition and that's in desirable areas. Desirable does not necessarily have to mean, like I said, San Francisco or LA. I'm talking, you know, Florida again. Florida, I, I love because it's what a, people go there for vacation. How about how about to live? Right. You know, right. The other thing that's so interesting, we're I don't I mean no one has a crystal ball, but through through all of this, we, residential real estate is it's, maybe it's not at an all time high, but we're certainly close to the top of the market or around the top of the market. And just like you had said, inventory is it is really low. What's interesting as as being uh, just big believers in affordable housing and, and residential real estate, um, over time, your, your equity is going to kind of ebb and flow as, as uh, wherever we are in the market cycle. But rents historically don't really decrease, right? I mean, there's certainly some excep exceptions, but in general, rents are always going to increase um, even if you lose some equity. So if you're looking at property and something pencils out and you're at a you know a 2.9% 30-year fixed interest rate and it cash flows and and even if you're, you know, even if you 
there is a real estate crash in four years and you lose 30% of that equity, your, your rents are never tied to that, right? So that's another interesting thing about kind of investing in the different cycles. I mean, ideally, you'd, 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 everyone would be investing at the bottom of the market, but you can't time that, right? So, Well, I mean, it's, it's a couple of really great points that you make that even, even during the downturn, and that was, that was a huge housing crisis. I mean, it was in our industry. And yet, like I said, people who lost houses, they just rented. I know people who didn't even feel that recession. And many of them were real wealth members because we showed them how to sell their bubble overpriced property in California and exchange it for, for the right price property in, in the right areas, areas where there was job, like I said, job growth, jobs were moving there. It was very job friendly. And so that was bringing people and people need to live in houses and, and you want people that have a job. So, you know, all those things uh, come into play, but you could, in 2006, you could sell one property and buy four or five in Texas and quadruple your cash flow. So the people who did that and listened to us and let us help them, us, let us help them with that, they did not even feel the recession because the people living in their homes needed a place to live and it was affordable. And it was in the area where they weren't losing their jobs. So today, and it's interesting because back then that was, again, that was, that was about 2005, 2006 that we were, we were desperately helping people sell. We knew that the, the bubble was going to burst and we were helping people get out and protect themselves in Texas. And the houses, the price points were about 120 to 150,000 with the discounts we were able to get for a brand new home in this little area called Rockwall, which is really like the houses there are like four or $500,000 now, but we were wow. getting them for one. 20 to 150. What, what year and was that roughly? 2004 to 2006. Wow. Okay. So, uh, so in the meantime, people quadrupled their cash flow by selling their California property and they tripled their, the, I mean, I don't want to say equity. They, they 10 X or 20 X their equity, but the properties tripled in value in that time. So it's just like, it's incredible. But when you say overpriced, again, it's the same thing. It depends on the market. Right. There are markets in the U.S. that are not even close to overpriced, not even close. Now, where I live in California, yeah, way overpriced. Right. But we're still, this is 15 years later than when we were buying in Texas. We're buying properties in Florida for the same price, right. for between 120 and 150 160 no, that's incredible. That's not overpriced. It's yeah. incredible that we can even find or build homes at that price point. And then, and the amazing thing is that the insurance and believe it or not, if you're not in a flood zone, the insurance is pretty low in Florida and the property taxes are low and there's no state income tax. So it's even better cash yeah. flow today than when we were buying 15 years ago. So yeah. it, and you think about where people in the in you know you you're, you're you live in the Midwest somewhere where it's full seasons and you have really hard winters or maybe the Northeast and where and you want to retire somewhere well where are you going to move you're going to move to certainly not California probably not anywhere coastal West Coast right or the Oregon's or or Seattle uh, yeah. a lot of the East Coast is really exp expensive like the, the big markets there. Uh, so it's Arizona, it's New Mexico, it's it's Florida, right? I mean, these are the areas that you think that you're you're 65 years old, you want to go somewhere where you know you have arth arthritis, and you want to be in a nice mild climate, right? Or not snow. So yeah. Florida, Florida yeah. is pretty compelling, I think. Well, the whole southeast, the south in general, yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
So kind of to wrap things up, I, I talk about generational wealth a lot on the show and building a legacy, and it means very different things to different people. Um, and maybe just, you know, if, if you, if you want to talk about what, what you and Rich, you know, what that means to you, you've got this huge body, body of work with the podcast and all of the education that you guys have been doing for, you know, for decades now. Um, I mean, what does that, what does that mean to you? And maybe even with your, with, with your family? It's, it's hard to, oh, you're going to make me cry. It's, it's hard to express what it feels like to have spent 15 years working nonstop, traveling all the time, trying to understand how to hire your first employee and screwing that up and then having to fire your first employee and that, oh, the terror of that. I mean, the process and the road, you know, the road to get here was long and windy and often very difficult, but to finally feel like, I think we got this, you know, I think we got this. We have 20 employees that are amazing. We know how to hire now. We know how to, you know, have core values for our company and hire only to those values. Um, we are blown away by the talent within our company. And and Rich and I just decided that in the next six months, we we literally think we're going to have a self-managed company wow. that we just come and peek in on every now and then and see how they're doing. They're that good. And then we can just focus on uh, writing and speaking and teaching more. Uh, so, and raising this grandbaby that I, oh, not raising him, but getting to visit him and seeing him and helping my daughter as she builds her life. Um, I get to be grandma and, and I get to garden. It's so weird. I haven't had free time in so long because yeah. we've been going, but I, all I can say is you can get there. You can get there 15. Well, actually in 2009, when times were tough, I think we had about 200 bucks in our business account. Wow. So, you know, we've had our ups, we've had our downs and we are uh, just, all I can say is keep going, read, grow. Don't waste your time. I see so many people wasting their time. Uh, we don't even know how to waste time. You know, we're <laughs> constantly reading and growing and learning and like, how do you build business better? How do you invest better? Uh, and and so don't waste your time because let me tell you, it's worth it to get to a point where your investments are paying you so that you can do what you want. And even one, I mean, one more thing, like we, we now turn, we, we tried the Airbnb thing because we built a little guest house at our house and that has been so successful. It's booked every night, wow. but now it's almost like we live for free in our house. It's <laughs> so it's just right. so exciting. Right. That's the value of of building assets. assets. Yep. So it's worth it to be able to work really hard for a period of time so that you can enjoy the fruits of that labor later. That's so great. And obviously, I mean, time goes by so fast, right? You blink and it's like, like right now, I feel like every every week feels like a day sometimes. It just time goes by so quick. So yeah. I think the the education part of it is just, you know, we're both pretty firm believers in that. And most of the the folks that we are in the, the circles with, I mean, they're all just read, read, read and learn and learn and learn and yeah. uh, ask good questions and get around, you know, get around smarter people. And so it's been, it's been so interesting. Um, yeah. I really- and, and don't think for a second that I, I've had a completely charmed life. I mean, it's been hard. We've made poor investments. We've trusted the wrong people. We've lost everything twice, you know, and, and, and you just get back up and you go. And so 
uh, every single up and every single down is part of the process for learning how to get it. It's like anything, like the first time you learn how to ski, you're going to fall a lot. The first time you learn how to walk, you're going to fall a lot. Um, so you probably fall a lot in business and in real estate, but just get back up and keep going, but you'll fall less the more you study <laughs> along yeah, the way. Yeah. Right. Well, it's even, it's having the out, out, out of, out of the box ideas. Like I have a feeling that when you guys were talking about your, your new place that, that you're in now and what, whatever the guest house that was there, I'm going to guess that that initially wasn't going to be an Airbnb, but maybe you thought of that somewhere along the way. And now look, it's probably paying for most of your expenses. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, we had thought about it. We kind of dove into this uh, <laughs> taking a big risk, and uh, and we were we were thinking we would actually Airbnb the the main house and live in the guest house, and then we we had to move in kind of before the house was complete. So we lived in it during construction, and uh, and unfortunately, not unfortunately, but we got real comfortable in the big house. So like, I'm not leaving now. I'm right. used to it, and so we ended up. But with the whole, that's another bonus from the from the, this whole COVID situation is that people can't fly or they don't want to fly. So they're just going to Airbnbs that are within a two to three hour driving distance. So we, we've been shocked at what a, you know, positive thing that's been for us. That's so great. So for the listeners out there, if you have not uh, followed Kathy uh, on the podcast and real wealth network, we'll list everything in the show notes and such a, such an awesome time to talk with you, Kathy, and good to catch up. Appreciate you having you uh, on the show. This was The Impatient Investor with Andrew Lenoy. You'd do it again if you thought you could get away with it, wouldn't you? Visit theimpatientinvestor.com for more episodes and be sure to share this podcast. Now, don't tell me you're taking all this seriously. No, seriously. Seriously. Go share it and rate it on iTunes today.